Prepare to unlock your potential and conquer the business realm with Boss Uncaged. Join S.A. Grant, a seasoned entrepreneur, digital marketing expert, and branding specialist as he delves into exclusive interviews, strategies, and success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. Guiding you from overcoming challenges to dominating diverse media platforms, Boss Uncaged is your ultimate source for business and entrepreneurial insights. Subscribe, like, and share now to elevate your business game where the spirit of the uncaged boss runs free. Meet the visionary behind the Boss Uncaged Educational Network and Omnimedia, the one and only boss beast, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. Today we have an individual that um, I, don't, I don't even know how to, to begin to explain his, his legacy of, of what he's done for the world and all the technology. And like, I mean, this guy holds over like 100 patents. So it's just it's utterly ridiculous to kind of think about like the type of mind that, that we have on the show today. I'm going to name him the high performance boss for, you know, obviously, I mean, with his legacy of what he's done, he's definitely an overachiever to say the least. But um, Renee, I want you to tell the audience a little bit more about you and, and what would you like to talk about today? Hey, yeah, thanks first for, for having me on the show. And yeah, I hope I can share a few helpful yeah, ideas, thoughts that inspire or yeah, bring, bring some insights out uh, in the context of our discussion. Mm -hmm. um, myself, maybe in the, in the short version, I live most of my time in California. I'm a tech guy, tech background. And uh, I work for large uh, high-tech companies like uh, IBM Research, Yahoo. But now, actually, 2016, I moved back to Germany, Berlin. I continued working in some high-tech areas, but then I created also my own business around uh, the high-performance mind, uh, what you mentioned before, this idea of high-performance mindset. And that's what I'm doing now in the role of a trainer coach, working with executives, working with founders, entrepreneurs, and helping them to upgrade mind and body mm. the awareness. I think that's the idea. It has a lot of fun. And uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it was so far, it was a fun, exciting journey. And possibly I can share a little bit more about that stuff here in the episode. So I think one of the things that, that I found on your Instagram account was a post about rewriting the software of the mind, which ironically enough, like, you know, you dealt a lot with like programming and development in, in most of your career. So for you to kind of make that analogy, I want you to kind of talk about the comparisons between rewriting code and rewriting the human mind. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one that you've seen there, because that was just a question I had uh, personally for myself in the past few months. So I was thinking about, uh, you started out as an engineer, software engineer. And so what are you doing nowadays? I used, what is this, what is, <laughs> how did this move into something? Is it different now? Is it similar? So this was my thinking around this. And when I talk about the mind, I usually talk about the the mind actually as a software, right? The mindset, some people call it a mindset. It's actually, it's a very complex piece of software. There's neural networks. Um, if you have some listeners here who have a tech background, 
they may be familiar with AI, with deep learning and those type of things. And so the mind at the end of the day is a, there's a neural network at the end, it's a software. And so I thought about, well, if there is this software there and many years ago, I realized this is the case. And then the problem with complex software, it's usually not running very effectively or efficiently. It has bugs, it is buggy, right? It can be optimized. And so that was clear. The software actually, and most people, it ben they could benefit from optimized software here, mind software. And so then I was thinking about, well, what I'm doing now is actually helping uh, others or teach them or coach them to upgrade that software. So in a sense, I'm still an engineer, but instead of now focusing on complex distributed or high-performance software systems uh, that, I don't know, power the internet, I'm now actually focusing more on the human mind. And in addition, also the body. And for the body, I thought about it as a biohacker. I thought about it. It's a similar thing because the body, basically the blueprint there is the DNA, our genes. Those are fixed. But there is also a software there, which is epigenetics. And epigenetics is actually driving the genes. And so it's, again, software that optimizes the body. And so then I figured, oh, wow, this is cool. So you're still an engineer. Nothing has really changed. It's just that you changed the domain, shifted it from, from traditional software systems to body and mind. And so this is why I like this analogy. It's very helpful to, to really achieve clarity on that. So, I mean, obviously with that, I mean, going from like biohacking based upon like computer hacking, right? I mean, obviously you're saying like they both kind of share the same hemisphere, like, let's talk about like your journey. I mean, obviously you have like 120 patents. Like what kind of patents do you have? And, and why did you even decide to go down that road to achieve getting that many patents? <laughs> it was certainly not an objection to create that many patents. It was more, I was in a flow state. So I liked what I was doing. I think this is always the key thing. If you like what you're doing. And, and I came to California in the mid nineties, uh, I joined IBM research. It was a very, it's a very creative, inspiring environment. A lot of cool people there, very smart people there. And I quickly, this was the, I quickly got into this, this habit of uh, going really deep in terms of innovation, creativity. Uh, and I realized this was the time when the internet was just booming and incub being in incubated, right? I, I remember these very early days. And so there was a lot of room for innovation. And in a research lab, usually there's two things that you do. Of course, you think, you're creative, and then either you publish like papers, research paper papers, journal papers, which is good to contribute to the academic uh, research community. Uh, but as a business, obviously, there's also intellectual property that can be or should be protected. It's usually a business decision. And so patents is one way of achieving that. And I got quickly into this at that point, learned the, the basics and realized that, oh yeah, there is this is a very important piece as well. It's not just research papers, but also the, Patenting some stuff is helpful for my employer in that case. And so there was so much, uh, it was like a land grab. There was so much in terms of things, innovation that you could do. Oh. 
uh, give you an example, like location-based applications and what you can do in the context of e-commerce. So at that point, this, so think about this was 98, 99 as an example. There was no mobile device around. And so we were already exploring, like we had like one of these big GPS receivers that you can put in the car, right? It was this huge box. And then you could get actually a signal while you're driving the car from this GPS receiver. Um, and then you could do something with it. It was very cumbersome, very primitive. But at that point, we already were thinking about ideas. Oh, now when you put these together, what, what are the cool things you can do? And so we were already thinking about ideas 10 years ahead, so in 2006 or whenever, 2005, and then these mobile devices like iPhone and so on, they came, they came along and they all had GPS built in. Um, then, of course, these ideas that we already implemented and experimented with 10 years ago, they all of a sudden came to life. And so this was a lot of fun. So it was not that I had an intent to write a, let's say, publish a patent or something, write a patent up. It was more like it was part of the creative process that this was a side product or a byproduct. Hmm. So, I mean, with those patents, I would think you look at those patents as something for business, but on the other side of the spectrum, I mean, they're, they're, they're monetized as well, too. I mean, anytime somebody uses that patent, they'll have to, you know, pay you some royalties. So I want mm-hmm. you to kind of talk about that. I mean, at the scale that you have 120 patents, technically speaking, if all those patents are being used at any given time, you're getting checks in the mail, right? I would think directly based upon uh-huh. 120 patents, correct? No, no, that would be nice. Then <laughs> that would be a nice deal. No, the 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 way it works, if you work for a, a corporation in that case, then they obviously they obtain all the rights on it. Mm, First, okay. you get some uh, you get some uh, incentives as well as uh, when you're producing them. So there is some incentive for sure, but they obtain all the rights. And large companies like this, they use it for cross uh, cross licensing and, and these type of deals, right? So IBM, I don't know, goes to Microsoft and they say, oh, look, here we have these 500 patents on mobile uh, development or whatever mobile kind of domain or e-commerce, whatever it is. And then Microsoft says, okay, cool, we want to use it here in return. There's another 500 we have on uh, distributed search or e-commerce search or whatever it is. And then they find a way to agree on this through cross-licensing. So the, the large companies, they use it to basically secure some of the intellectual property, but also to license it and if there's opportunities. But for the in- inventor, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if I would have created my own startup and done nothing else, then I don't know, creating some of these patterns and then later on someone buys them or gets to royalty then this would be a different story as well so let's continue down this journey i mean obviously didn't that led you to becoming an mit technology reviewer right so like let's talk about that like i mean mit is is a household name brand in, in technology in the u.s how did that come to fruition well, I mean, the the thing was at that point, I was uh, in these days, early 2000 and the following years, I was deep in technology, did a lot of innovation. Uh, I, I joined uh, Yahoo 2004, I think. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. And then at the end of the day, if you're doing cool things, people recognize. Mm-hmm. And MIT, they had this program that came up 
also in these early days, I think, when they were basically recognizing these type of people or identifying them. And that was for me, this was a big deal in terms of, oh, wow, look, you're pretty much on the same uh, <laughs> on the same level, like Larry Page or, or Google, right? Or Jerry Yang, the Yahoo guy, right? So you were pretty much on the same page like these guys. They also got all uh, nominated and recognized. So that was a, that was in terms of for the ego some cool uh, cool thing that uh, other people recognize the impact that is being generated, but it was more or less uh, again a byproduct, nothing where I would I did something particular for or had any ambition. It was just you do you do good work and then other things are usually following. Hmm. So I mean, based upon th- th- that particular answer, right? It seems like you're profound but you're humble as well so i want to talk about like your upbringing like what kind of kid were you because in in this particular audience of listeners i always say that there may be a kid like you a younger version sitting in their house right now and they don't even know what to do with them so i want you to kind of like depict what were you like growing up yeah i mean that's uh that's that's a good question i mean at the end uh i grew up here in this area where i live now a little bit north northern part of frankfurt in the countryside and yeah there is not that much going on that's why when i decided when i finished my uh, studies uh, my bachelor's basically decided let's go into the world and go there where the action is which was the silicon valley but prior to this when i was growing up here in this in this area it's yeah there is not that much going on there's some villages there's some towns there's not a lot of infrastructure, particularly in these days. Uh, I mean, there was, when I grew up, there was a television that was black and white, <laughs> and it had two or three channels. So this, these were these times. So it's a very simple environment. There was no technology or any of these things, right? This all happened much, much later. So I grew up in the 80s, right? 70s, late 70s, 80s. This was the time when, um, which was... I think you still had a lot of fun there in this time, but it was just way different compared to now. And so this simplification on one side um, and this very simple way of of growing up, um, I always had, um, I was driven or motivated by uh, curiosity, right? I've seen a lot of, uh, when technology came across, I would say this was, in the mid '80s, or so, if I recall, more and more of this tech stuff came uh, came along. This was attracting myself, and I've seen all this. There's these these computers or these things that you can program or that you, they, they do some stuff. I think this was intriguing, mm-hmm. and I think, but curiosity it was always curiosity that was the driver, and that's why I decided I go into tech. Yeah, I would I would say that's the the short version. So let's just play off that word. I mean, obviously, you're talking about technology and, and, and ingenuity. If you could define yourself in just using three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Yeah, I would say um, innovation, transformation. I think that's that's the core of it. It's transformation and innovation, I think. And there is a there is maybe a third aspect which is that doing doing I think is also a strong one, mm. 
because it's uh, what I, I learned over the years is you can have all these great ideas that can be transformative, but there has to be some doing to actually take things into action. And then maybe the last point here is being, because then I realized about 10 years ago that uh, doing isn't sufficient. There has to be a strong presence rooted in being that is even more important. And that got me, this was the past 10 years of my journey when I was focusing more on being. But I think these four, they they nicely summarize like some high-level concepts that uh, are with me. Which I think kind of leads you to where you are right now when you're talking about biohacking. So I want you to kind of talk about like that that transformation, right? I mean, that, that's, that's one of the key words. How did you go from being so prolific in technology and then you know did you wake up on a random tuesday and say hey now i want to be more prolific on the human mind i want to kind of do what i did with technology with human tech mm. no that was uh, <laughs> it was not like this that i uh, all of a sudden uh, had this epiphany oh yeah it's now let's do something else no it was more that I got more and more deeper in, into work. Uh, I was also teaching at the university in Santa Cruz part-time. So while working at Yahoo in the evening or sometimes afternoon or in the morning, it just depended. Uh, I spent a few hours there commuting back and forth and teaching and doing my full-time job, lots of hours. I worked on startup ideas on the side a little bit as I always, there are so many things you can do. And so at the end of the day, I got out of balance. I got, I ran into this, uh, this, what's a good way, the state of, um, a state of mental exhaustion. So I felt like, oh my goodness, everything got heavier and heavier and stress was catching up with me, which I didn't even know existed prior to this. And then of all of a sudden, I felt in this state of, it's a very unbalanced state of mind and also unbalanced state of the body. And that was really and literally the the uh, this wake up moment actually happened at some point. So I was in this state for quite some time, and I felt something is off. But then uh, at one night, I remember still, I woke up and I thought I'm dying. Right, so I felt like the sensation here in my arm. It felt like a heart attack. Typical symptoms. The emergency, uh, the ambulance came, it took me to the hospital. And so they wired me on all these devices and whatever. But while they were transporting me to the hospital there, then all of a sudden I had this very clear moment when I was just literally observing myself in a very calm state of mind. And looking at this, also curious, hmm, interesting, what's going on, right? And this was a moment of clarity, and that actually lasted uh, longer. Mm. And in the hospital, I mean, they just told me, ah, too much stress, here's some pills, helps with the anxiety. So it was some anxiety attack, panic attack, whatever. And they, they've seen that, and apparently they've seen that a lot. <laughs> so it was, for them, it was not a big deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, here, take these, get out. But for me, this was the, the moment when all of a sudden I had this, yeah, the sense of clarity, and it was staying there for quite some time. And that changed a lot because I felt like I, at that point, I, this was a completely new perspective. Of course, I was puzzled. I had no, no idea what's going on. 
Uh, but I decided I got more and more into mindfulness. There was a course, a standard mindfulness course that uh, in my employer at that point was offering called MBSR. It's a standard eight-week program, a little bit of meditation, some breathing exercises, body scans, and so on. So I can highly recommend it. It was a simple thing, little do little of these exercises. And for me, it was just to explore the idea of decreasing stress levels, uh, but also coming back to these really crisp levels of clarity. There were so, so, so these calm moments of clarity, stillness, it was just phenomenal. And I experienced them again in meditation very quickly. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. So it looks like a whole new dimension opened up. And for me, this was just, again, curiosity, exploring. I had no idea how to, what to do with it yet, but it was clear that uh, it was a, a start of something new, but what it was, was evolving. So I, I started to applying these things to my work because I figured there's so many benefits in the personal space. Let's see how this can be used when you do your business, when you do your work. Oh. And because all of a sudden you could actually work more. <laughs> that was the first idea. Oh, wow. Clear mind, calm state of mind, you can actually get more stuff done. But I realized, well, it may not be the smartest thing to do because this is what brought you there was lack of balance. So try to be aware of creating more balance, which I did. And then I also experimented, how can I now use these techniques of mindfulness in the workspace? And then I did that. But I also, a few years later, when I moved back here to Berlin, to Germany, my body was still in a pretty bad shape because of all those things. And I also, of course, I had no idea what to do. These doctors at that point, they just gave me one pill after the other. Oh, yeah, this is for high blood pressure. Uh, this is for anxieties. This is for whatever, right? arrhythmias and all the stuff. And so they had all these pills and I what the heck? I'm still, I'm so young and I have to deal with all these pills. And that's not, that's completely off. And so, uh, but it was clear the doctors can't really uh, support here. They have no clue in terms of, they, they know when there's a condition that you put in these things to treat the symptoms, but it's not getting to the cause, mm -hmm. root cause, right? And so that's why I figured, well, uh, when I moved in here to Berlin, I met a few functional medicine doctors. And one of particular, she was really good. And all of a sudden I realized this person is speaking my language. She was deep into DNA and systems and biomarkers. I said, oh, wow, this is cool, right? Now, all of a sudden, a lot of stuff made sense to me, but of course, I still had not enough uh, knowledge to, to figure out how to really practically use these things to live healthier in a more, in a, in a systematic way. It was more random. You just learn a little bit here and there how to live healthier. But over time, if you, since what I'm good at is I can go really deep in, into something quickly and digest it and then make sense out of it. So this was my strength as an engineer and also here my strengths. And so over the years, I got deep into epigenetics, functional medicine. And yeah, I mean, biohacking was at the end, it's just an approach, a more agile approach now to instead of having this uh, structured plan, it's more, okay, let's try something out. Let's measure, let's do something, then measure again, see what happens. Then you make some modifications. And that worked very well with the body and with the mind. I figured out how to do the same thing with the mind because 
Biohacking basically is what I mentioned, there is biomarkers, so there, there are KPIs, ways to measure. And for the mind, when I started, there was no KPI. That, of course, as a scientist, didn't make any sense. There has to, there has to be some way to measure the mind as well. And so this is when I started thinking about mind KPIs, and it actually worked. So I could actually start measuring awareness. I could start measuring mindfulness. And then I came up with this whole idea or this whole area of measurable mindfulness. And then I brought it together. So I brought awareness, measurable mindfulness, plus the biohacking on the body together. And then this was what I'm referring to, the high-performance mindset. It's a combination of mind, body, and awareness. And this evolved in the past, I would say, three years. Mm -hmm. um, it's still evolving, obviously. It's never, it never stops. But um, at that point... I'm in a state now, I think, where I have a good handle in terms of how to combine these things to really cause transformation for myself. It was always that I experimented on myself to feel better, live better, live healthier. But then about seven years ago, I also started now, I've seen these changes that are positive changes happening to me. Then I thought, well, how can I help others with these things? And this when I got over the years more and more into uh, the coaching, the training stuff, where I now pretty much work with executives. They want more performance. They want to live calmer, stress-free. They want to, um, yeah, increase their performance levels in all areas, live healthier, right? And now, since I know how, how it worked for me, how to measure things, what are possible ways to make changes and what impact they're producing, um, it's now it's a natural step that I then decided, okay, let's now it's the time, let's not focus too much on yourself anymore. Of course, you keep doing this and you keep iterating and, and learn some new ways and improving health and mind, but let's focus more on helping others. So, I think one of the key things, key, key things that you had said, and I, I want to kind of like dive into that a little bit to kind of get some more insight. And again, you, you're, you're very linear, right? So you're talking about evolution. And you just said like maybe three years ago was kind of when you kind of hit that landmark, that that life of that situation to kind of reimagine re where the direction you're going in right now. I want to talk about like the earlier days, like how long were you in that state of mind in technology until you hit that that body crash, until you hit like that life changing moment? How many years was that? I would say about 15 years. So it was, that's why it took some time. It was not from today to tomorrow. It was like something built up more than a decade, slowly, but steadily. And I also realized this is a common situation. So I'm not like the, the, the only guy who experienced this. I actually realized this is the way in tech and of course in other industries as well. But tech is a little bit special in a sense that there's so much new information every year information is is is, in, is like completely changing um, and you have to as a computer scientist you have to absorb this information to, to stay current otherwise you're completely <laughs> you lost touch to what's going on right so you have to stay in touch with new technologies and so this puts a lot of strain on your cognitive and your mental processing because the body needs to process all that stuff all this learning then you have all these deadlines and deliverables and so it is, um, if you're not dealing with it properly, if your mind is not optimized and you fall into the typical traps of what I call the monkey mind, 
the monkey mind is a state like the untamed or the untrained state of mind where you have not trained the mind. So look at my little little Yoda here or Grogu right in the back. Um, a state of trained mind. This is one when I in these old days I when I watched Star Wars and Yoda was talking about train your mind, you will. I realized what is he talking about? But later I understood, ah, this was what Yoda already was telling and what he was actually when he was teaching Luke Skywalker for Star Wars fans, they probably know what I'm talking about now, but he was talking about training the mind, right? And Luke was supposed in this um, in this scenario, like juggling some things, keep focusing, concentrating. And when I'm talking about training a mind is really using your awareness to observe your own thoughts mm. and start to debug them one by one, right? Really going in, seeing what's going on there. And I think this is what the, the big game changer is at the end of the day, when you start to really use it gradually to to clean up so to speak or make your mind more efficient and i think if you do this then you can flourish in a tech environment the tech environment itself has a lot of benefits but it is challenging with what i've just said but if you learn how to train your mind you can flourish in any challenging situation it doesn't matter because these are just external circumstances that are happening but the way you're experiencing is completely up to you and that's why I, I've seen these benefits myself. Right? When I moved here to Germany, when I was uh, started working at a large e-commerce uh, tech company here in Berlin, um, I built up large organizations there. I had about 400 people, engineers, data scientists, uh, built up a research lab there in my organization. This was a large, this was a, a large organization distributed in several cities within Europe. Um, but I did it effortlessly uh, in a calm state of mind, in a very clear state of mind. It took me less effort than when working in smaller team setups back in these old days at Yahoo, because I was simply, at that point, my mind was in a different state. It was in a more trained state. Mm -hmm. And that was make the difference. And that's why I, at that point I realized this is, is like something, training the mind is something that can be beneficial to everyone, independent if they're working in tech or not in tech, um, to, I think, is a part of the necessities nowadays that kids should learn at school right away. Like when they go in preschool, uh, start training the mind, right? To use, do the Yoda stuff, but actually figure out how to do it in little steps in a age appropriately, right? You can do that. And I think these things, they will pay off in the long run. So let's just take this this Yoda mindset about training mind on a time traveling journey, right? If you can go back anywhere in your history and retrain your mind at a particular point in time, when would you go back to and to retrain your mind? Well, I mean, the, the, there is. I would I would say there is no particular um, point in time. I think it is beneficial. Of course, it would have been beneficial. When you grow up as a young as a young kid, that you already have the trained state of mind, <laughs> it would be great. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's life happens in a for you in a way that makes the most sense. So that's why I think it all happened in a good way, so that I could, uh, in my own pace, benefit from these um, transformational things happening there. 
And I would say it just happened in the right moment. It was just, I mean, luckily it didn't, I mean, if I think back, it could have been worse. Let's say I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had that experience. I would have maybe kept working in this craziness for another five years. My health would be at that point really in bad shape. Who knows what have all the diseases that would have been developed based on out of this. So I think I'm happy the way things unfolded there. But yeah, I, don't, I think there is no particular point in time and I say, oh yeah, this would have been much cooler if I would have had this before because who knows what have, would have changed because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. So let's just keep going back on this journey, right? So when you think back at, with you growing up with your parents, were any of them or were you around any entrepreneurs in your younger days? Um, not necessarily. I think um, my uncle, he was an entrepreneur, so he was always entrepreneurial, so I didn't see him that often, but he was all, he was always talking about business stuff. My, uh, well, my, my grandfather as well, he was also entrepreneurial. Um, so I, I, I picked up a few of these things. I, I learned I, I, what I learned is that uh, when I was working for someone else, it's like trading in time for whatever, some money. But I've seen like from these guys that uh, they had much more control in terms of uh, what they were doing. So this was definitely inspiring. But unfortunately, again, there was not that much information out there, or easy access to information. During these old days, there were newspapers that you can read. And there was no internet or any social media where you can pick up some of these ideas or even listen to one of these like here, like this podcast, right? Where you can learn, get inspired from other ideas. So I had little inspiration, but that little of inspiration was sufficient that uh, it sparked in me this idea that uh, you have to do something for yourself, which, uh, which then is really aligned with what it is that you wanted to do. And how you can generate the most value here on this planet. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's definitely very interesting. And I think it was another article or another post. I forgot which one where I found it at, where you were talking about your morning routines. And earlier on, you talked about meditation, which is part of your morning routine. So I want you to kind of allude, because you have a very distinct step-by-step what you do on a routine basis. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, that that is all always evolving. I uh, I know in the past years that uh, I think what I'm uh, what I'm suggesting usually is that the first hour or two hours in the morning usually are perfect to utilize for yourself mm. and create something like a morning routine. And most of us already have a morning routine, but it just may not. It maybe it's too short or it may not be optimized in the sense that you can really get the most out of it. There's also an evening routine, and then you can sprinkle in more things over the course of the day. Um, I mean, I experimented with different types of things that you can do, like in the morning. Uh, so, I mean, there is things that just getting getting dressed, right? Getting in getting in shape to start the day. But there's biohacks that you can start doing, like cold showers or application of cold, right? It could be uh, so for the body, right, there could be a vibration blade that shakes you, <laughs> you get get your body going. There could be some micronutrients that usually uh, I prepare these things as a biohacker. There's a lot of different 
supplements, micronutrients that you take over the course of the week. And so those have to be organized and in the morning, just pop them in. There's uh, rituals like some, let's say, bulletproof coffee uh, that you do in the morning to get some energy boost. There could be some, yeah, there could be some reflection. There could be some meditation. Um, there could be some learning as well. So it, it it really depends. So I, I figure I can't have this very strict routine because every day somehow is different. And I have to have this flexibility that I, whatever the day brings, I'll figure out what makes the most sense and do it basically determine dynamically what I want to do. So it's on my side, it's a little bit more fluid. In that case, in the morning I got up, let's say it's a typical day. And uh, so I say, okay, great. Um, and I'm not that early person. My biology is designed to stay stay up longer and go to bed later and then sleep longer. And so it's it's I'm the night night type of guy. So and then the others they're exactly the opposite. So but when I get up, uh, let's say at seven or something like this, then I uh, think about okay, how much time do you have now for yourself? And then maybe it's an hour, and then I figure out okay, let's then let's do X Y Z and then go through it. But it's it pretty much comes up in on the fly. It's not that I. I, only thing I have is here's a blocker. Now I have one hour, maybe I have two hours. It just depends what day it is. But when I'm traveling, things are again completely different. I may have less time. I may have limited access to some of the biohacking equipment or some of the things I can do. So I have to keep it very flexible. Mm. And then the only thing that counts is okay, now I have an hour for myself. What is it that I want to do now to maximize this experience for myself? And then I do what feels good. And after that, I'm happy that I did it. And then I move on to the rest of the day activities. Hmm. So, I mean, let's, let's just talk about, I mean, obviously you're, you're a doctor, you're highly educated. You talked about keeping up with technology. So that would, that would lead me to think that you're always somewhat consuming data or consuming information. So do you, my question is, do you read books? And if you do read books, what books would you like to recommend to an up and coming entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, the, the you're absolutely right. I mean, there is so much information out there. And so I pretty much, I started many years ago, some backlog where I said, okay, let's Anytime some article or book or whatever, uh, audio book, whatever came to mind, I just added it into the queue. And then there is these moments like in the morning routine when you say, ah, now you have 15 minutes. What can you do? And then I'll pick something out of it. And it's not that I read sometimes books like completely from the beginning to the end. Uh, sometimes I just skim through them. Or sometimes I start reading the first chapter and then I'm like, okay. Um, that's it. So I decide then, okay, let's move on to something else. So there is the backlog got bigger and bigger, but then sometimes also I see when I look at the backlog from time to time and, and well, let's see what's in there. Sometimes I also throw stuff out of it and say, ah, this is no longer relevant. Let's get rid of it. But it's grooming this, grooming the backlog, keeping it up to date. And then when the time comes, like possibly a little bit in the morning for me, the evening is usually better for this type of stuff, right? After, I don't know, 8 p.m., I go more in a relaxed mode, 
I may do a little bit of uh, doing small hike, 15 minutes to calm the mind, uh, the nervous system a little bit down, maybe do some meditation. And then I got into more and say, oh, cool. Now you can still maybe do a half hour, 45 minutes of information processing, but light stuff, not too, not too engaging. And then I can absorb a little bit more information. And then obviously over the course of the day, if there's breaks in between and if uh, sometimes I'm commuting. So if you're on the, on the go, there is stuff like podcasts that you can listen to on the go. So I'll, I'll try to use opportunities that are coming up morning, day, evening to consume information, make it a priority to do it. Um, and then, yeah, see dynamically, how can I derive some action items out of this? Because mm -hmm. just reading something is not that helpful. It's, uh, I always ask the question, what can I learn out of this? Reflect what is actionable here. Otherwise, it's not going to help me. I, I met a guy, he told me, <laughs> I remember, it's not that long ago. And then he said, oh, yeah, um, uh, he said, I read a thousand books already. And I said, oh, great. So what did you learn? He couldn't answer me this question. So he was this guy who's like reading one book after the other, and he's just consuming, accumulating information. I said, well, the key is what kind of action items do you derive? And so that's why when I take these, some of these books, um, and you said a book tip, unfortunately, this book is in German. So it's not, a, I just have it here. You can check it out. It's basically about uh, Igor, Igorov, this guy. It's about breathing, uh, how to breathe correctly and how to learn how to actually do breathing. There's several books out there on this topic. It's so fundamental. And... Uh, but these types of books, uh, sometimes it's not that you just go through them and just read them, get through. It's more like you read a chapter and then you reflect, oh, there's some good ideas on breathing. Maybe there were some exercises mentioned. There is a, for instance, there's a great test that you can do. It's a body oxygen level test, B-O-L-T. It's a very fundamental test where you basically, so you learn how to do this in this book, but there's other ways on the internet how you can learn this as well. But the idea is when you, you sit there straight like like now, and then you basically at some point you breathe out, and then you close the nose here, you use a timer and you stop the time until there is a strong urge to breathe in. So it basically how long can you keep your breath without being uncomfortable? And that is a very fundamental number. So for biohackers, this pretty much for anyone else, this is this this KPI, right? This bolt value, this how long you can keep the keep the holding the press until there is this urge, shows you how well your mitochondria in the cells are basically capable of how, how efficient they're working, but also how well your body can tolerate carbon dioxide. So that's a very fundamental health marker. Right? So if people, let's say on average, they get come back with something like 20 seconds, uh, people below 20 seconds, let's say 15 seconds, 15 to 20 seconds, that's already suboptimal. And then there's people like less than 10 seconds. I mean, they have really difficult. They sometimes can hardly climb some stairs. And so on the upper end, then there's people, what's considered optimal is 30 or 40 seconds as an example. 40 seconds is optimal value. And so you can see with a simple test like this, if you do it where you are in terms of your over, 
your overall shape, fitness level, health of your mitochondria. Um, that tells you that simple, simple test. And you learn that, for instance, in this book, there's other exercises. They're talking about, for instance, um, again, simple ways how you can improve that value. Because let's say you come back with 20 seconds, then what can I do to bump it up? How can I get to 25 seconds? How can I get it up to 30, 40, whatever? Right? So you learn some simple techniques. And that's why then reading the book itself is not a big deal, but it's more of then stopping, trying out these things and doing these exercises actually and experimenting and then coming back to the book. And then the book actually has some value. So that could be the case. So this book is now here already for many weeks. So it's I'm still on it. And of course, I'm digesting in parallel a few other books that are coming up. But usually books I'm looking at are around this idea of a high-performance mindset. So it's usually around uh, either mind, uh, training the mind, upgrading the mind, or related more to the biohacking side of things like functional medicine, uh, topics, epigenetics, whatever comes up in the biohacking community. There's so many resources, and especially medicine is so, such a broad field. And then there's technology, right? So I always look at technology, what comes up there in terms of deep learning, new approaches, software that can be used because when you combine the software with health, health, right, with health topics, you get into the space of health tech. And that is a very fascinating space because uh, there's so much innovation happening nowadays or in the past years it started that uh, that's also an area I like to stay updated. So, I mean, let's just talk about that first. Let's dive into it a little bit deeper and just un unpack it. So earlier on, you were saying that, like, the people that you like to work with or you usually work with is executives. And obviously, you have a tech background and you're going into more biohacking. So who is your ideal avatar that can get the most impact from working with you? I would say, in general, like, uh, founders, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, executives, uh, leaders who really want to up, who really want to upgrade their performance, right? They want to squeeze out more out of their mind, out of their body. They want to live healthier. And usually these are people who already feel that something is off. They feel that they're stressed. They feel the mind is always on, the busy mind, there's always some stuff. They're not calm. They can... Some, some of them have trouble focusing. They get distracted too easily. So they see their, ah, it's not optimal state, but they have no clue what to do. They tried maybe out a little bit of mindfulness. They tried out some little meditation. It's not going to work for them. They said, oh, I can't sit still for more than a minute. <laughs> that's that's a typical sign. Or And they can already suffer some. Uh, the more they suffered in terms of the body, when they... Uh, they have uh, more severe already stress symptoms. Let's say they have trouble sleeping. They hardly sleep and then things get worse and worse and worse. Uh, or they may even may be sick, right? They may already have, uh, based on those constant high stress levels, they may have some tinnitus. They may have some uh, uh, high blood pressure. They may have some even insulin resistance. I mean, it could be all kinds of stuff coming into the mix once you're getting there. And so usually... These people know that they have to do something and they're motivated to do something. It's typically not a person who uh, 
wants to completely like, oh yeah, I'm waking up. I'm, today is a new day. I have this idea. Oh yeah, let's work on my mindset a little bit, right? And let's improve my mindset. It's usually not that. It's not a proactive person. Usually, it's more people that realize, okay, uh, this is not going to. It's not sustainable. I have to do something. So it's more. It's more like these type of people they benefit most. But obviously, there is, I would say, a small percentage of these uh, founders, of these entrepreneurs, they are actually proactive. I still haven't figured out what drives them. But they actually say, oh, I learned that uh, if I if I can work on my mind, if I can train my mind, or if I live healthier, I see a lot of these potential benefits. So there's a small percentage of these people who decide up front and say, Let's invest into myself. Let's make myself a priority. I think this is the biggest decision. Make yourself a priority. Mm-hmm. And then figure out, okay, how can I now get going? What is an effective way to do it? And for me, I'm thinking about myself. I'm more the facilitator. I can give you the shortcuts. But for me, it was all trial and error. <laughs> I did a lot of experimentation. I spent probably more than 10,000 hours on figuring that stuff out. But if someone... Nowadays, uh, there are people around with this type of knowledge and you can you can work with these experts and you can make shortcuts then. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that's the big benefit when you work with you know, someone like me or other experts in that field to take the shortcut, right? Don't, shouldn't take five years or 10 years. Let's do something now in the next few months and take advantage of these transformational uh, things that can happen. So you have their ears, they're listening to you right now. What words of wisdom would you like them to hear from you? I would say that uh, I would say that this proactive approach that I was talking about, I would encourage them to take advantage of this, of becoming really proactive on making themselves a priority first. I think this is the most important step bringing in more balance into their life because most people, they just think about their business deliverables. They, they're founding the business. Uh, they put all their energy into that. And that's great. I mean, yeah, sure. Because they're passionate about it. Uh, they forget about themselves on their own well-being for mind and body. Right. And I think the biggest piece of advice is when you found a business or when you run a business or when you, right, when you, when you want to work in this environment in a more sustainable way, I think making yourself a priority first and then using a proactive approach of upgrading mind and body and cultivating more awareness because this is the way it is sustainable and this is where you can actually, at the end of the day, be much more effective and you can maximize contributions mm-hmm. that you otherwise you wouldn't be able because if you don't do any of that, if you just keep doing like in the hamster wheel and working and working and working, work harder, but achieve at the end less and less results, it's it's at the end of the day, there is mental exhaustion and that's not a fun place to be. And then, of course, when you at that point only realize, oh, man, I have to do something, it's much harder to get out of this. You lose so much time when you're already deep in that state and so I would say I know people when they're not in this mental exhaustion state, when they're in this energetic state still, have a hard time to 
to thinking that this even makes sense. But I think there is usually, if you're listening to this, there is some awareness in you and awareness realize if there's some truth to it. So if awareness is there and you realize, wow, proactive makes sense. It's better to do something now to learn new ways of living healthy, but also living more in a calm state, more in a relaxed state. And these things are possible then maybe I should invest a little bit of uh, time and resources into myself, figure out better balance. And you can still, of course, then work hard, but you can even work smarter. So this is usually what I'm talking about. It's about work less, but achieve more. Mm. There's lots of books out on this topic. I mean, think back in these, I don't know, 20 years ago, the four-hour work week and all that stuff. But there is a truth to it. It's basically... If you upgrade your mind and body, there is more energy in there. It's more the, the mind, the brain runs on higher power, has better processing speed and capabilities. And you have more energy. That means you can get stuff done much more effectively. Right? That's why usually uh, this is what I suggest, because at that point when other people, it takes them a half day to get something done, I get it done in an hour, as an example, where other people take four hours. Right, then I have three hours left. And so and then I use the these this free time for also for relaxation. Not don't do the mistake of then you of course now you can process more, you're faster. Don't use them to now even do more stuff, but then use them also. Always give yourself some time. So that would be my last piece of advice would be to balance your resources better over the course of the day, over the day of the week and the months and so on. So let's say this executive is listening and they want to get in contact with you. How do they do that? Like, do you want to send them to your website, social media? What's the easiest way to get in contact with you? Yeah, I think my, my website usually is good, themindfulleader.net. I think if if you put a, a link to it in the show notes, there is contact there. They can touch with me easily. And then, uh, yeah, and there's so many, there's a lot of resources out there on these topics, countless videos on how to do some of these things so plenty of resources um that you can that they can look at to get started very cool so i got a bonus question for you and i'm I'm intrigued to see what you're going to say with this one if you could spend 24 hours with anyone and this person could be someone from the past that could be dead or it could be someone that's presently alive but you have a 24-hour window to spend only with them just you and them mano y mano who would it be and why Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think that I think in my case, the problem is there is quite a few uh, people I admire for their expertise or for other properties that I would like to spend some time with them. Um, and as you could see there, I, because I mentioned there is these different dimensions of the high performance mind, there is awareness, and then there is mind, and then there is and then there is body. And they're all important, right? And so, unfortunately, there is not one person I could go to to get answers on all three of them. Usually, people have a specific expertise that is tied to certain things. So I'll give you an example. Eckhart Tolle is, uh, is a world-renowned author, The Power of Now. So he's pretty, pretty deep in when it comes to consciousness, awareness. So I would definitely like to sit there uh, an hour, uh, not an hour, but a whole day with him talk about consciousness, consciousness transformation, all those type of things. 
and how the mind how the mind works. But then there's other when it comes to the body, there's people like let's say Dave Asprey, uh, which over the years I, I followed a lot with the biohacking stuff. And this guy also accumulated so much knowledge and experience on all of these topics. It's just amazing, right? So when it comes to the body, uh, talking with Dave is probably a cool experience. And so if I have to limit to a day, I would maybe say spend half day with Eckhart, spend the other half day with Dave. <laughs> that's feasible. Um, I think that's that would be a good thing. Hmm. It's a very, very interesting answer. Well, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, it, there's so many people in throughout history spending just one day with one someone could be definitely very difficult, especially with someone, someone like you. So my next bonus question for you would be considering that you had all these different levels of achievement, which one personally to you is your most significant achievement to date? Well, I think the, uh, I think for me still this transformative moment when I, I had this all of the, all of a sudden this moment of clarity when I was driving what I mentioned earlier in this ambulance, this was the, I would say, the most fundamental breakthrough from all of them, because this was a complete, it opened the door to a completely new dimension of awareness, mm-hmm. right? So all those other things, they're all fun, right? And they're all good. I wouldn't miss any of them. Family, uh, wife, kids, uh, jobs, uh, technologies, all the cool stuff. So, I mean, there's a countless list and even... Even today, it, it, it keeps adding on. But I think the shift when you can add more awareness into your life, and this was basically at the end of the day, it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, it was one of these moments that you experience they have a profound impact. Um, but I think after that, for me, it was more keeping this state or, or having more instances over the course of the day to stay in a state like this. And it's doable. This is when you train the mind, you can get into these states, in particular meditation. If you do some of the more deeper meditations, sometimes you get really deep into some altered state of consciousness and awareness. And those are cool cool places to, to hang out in and stay in. But I think, um, yeah, looking back, I think that was probably the, the most profound impact, I would say. And then everything else, I would say there's so many cool things. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. So, I mean, going into closing, I, I like to give an opportunity to whoever I'm interviewing, an opportunity to interview me. You're also a fellow podcaster. You have a new podcast as well. So I'm delivering the Boston Cage podcast. You're now the host. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? Um, it's also a very, very good question. I would say maybe since you interviewed a lot of uh, different uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, business guys, uh, smart people, um, what's your impression that when looking at, I don't know how many hundred you interviewed already, but what's your impression that there is nowadays a little bit more awareness on these topics? For, for these guys in general, are people becoming more aware or more balanced or are they are they actually making it an effort to uh, working on their mind and body a little bit more in a sustainable fashion? Is that the case or what was your impression on this? Yeah, I think that that's a superb question. Um, 
if you had asked me that question 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I would say everyone is like, work, 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 get it done. Don't sleep. Don't eat. Work around the clock. Work around the clock. And honestly, out of like the 400 people that I've interviewed, that's not the general consensus. The general consensus is it's all about like finding the balance. Now, obviously, you have to work. You want to get to an achievement. You want to be prosperous. You want to be successful. But ideally, you want to live to enjoy it. So to, to your point is a lot of people, they go through that midlife crisis uh, along with myself as well, or a life threatening something that happens that changes your point of view to make you work smarter, not necessarily work harder. And that's something that I've consistently seen from everyone that I've interviewed is like, they're always going through a transitional point, whether it's life or death, whether it's family, whether it's an opportunity to change where they are to go somewhere differently. It's always going back to what you said earlier. It's like a metamorphosis. And, and to your point, the metamorphosis always deals with like the mind, the body, and essentially like, you know, where they're going to be versus where they are currently. Mm, yeah, makes sense. Thanks. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. If that's, that's your last question, anything else? No, that's thanks. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate you um, bringing all the philosophies and insight. I mean, obviously coming from like a tech background and now you're talking about biohacking, I could definitely see like the synergy to it. And it kind of makes me think about where we're going to be a hundred years from now. Like when we have like AI technology infusing with human technology, people like you are kind of at the forefront to kind of infiltrate that, kind of bring those two worlds together, those two, those two hemispheres together. So I definitely appreciate your insight today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Great. SA Grant, over and out. Thank you for tuning in to another empowering episode of Boss Uncaged, where we've explored the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, harnessed the power of digital marketing, and embraced the journey of building impactful brands. As we wrap up this episode, I want to express my deepest gratitude to our incredible guests, listeners, and the entire Boss Uncaged community. Your dedication to unlocking your potential and conquering the business realm has made this podcast a dynamic hub of inspiration and knowledge. Throughout the Boss Uncaged journey, we've delved into exclusive interviews, shared strategies, and celebrated success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. It's been a roller coaster of insights, lessons, and triumphs, and I hope you found valuable takeaways to apply in your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Whether we've tackled challenges together, explored the vast landscape of diverse media platforms, or uncovered the secrets to dominating in business, your commitment to the Boss Uncaged spirit has been truly inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, like leave a positive five-star review, and share the Boss Uncaged podcast to continue elevating the business game. The Boss Spirit runs free, and we're always ready to amplify your entrepreneurial journey with extra resources at bossuncage.com. Before we sign off, remember that Boss Uncage is more than just a podcast. It's the heartbeat of the Boss Uncage educational network and omni-media. It's a vision brought to life by the Uncaged Boss in all of us. Thank you for being part of this incredible ride. Stay hungry, stay focused, and keep conquering the business realm. Subscribe, like, and share now to keep the Boss Uncaged spirit alive. Boss Uncaged.